Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Jean Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Simon Fraser, who is a GP and Associate Professor of Public Health at the School of Primary Care, Population Sciences and Medical Education at the University of Southampton. Uh, and the title of the paper is Change in Treatment Burden Among People with Multimorbidity, a Follow-up Survey. So the first thing that we need to get into here is what treatment burden is. So I asked Simon to tell us initially about treatment burden, what it is and why it matters. I mean, it's, I guess it's a relatively recent concept um, and uh, it's really the, the workload required of patients to look after their health. And um, and also the impact that that has on them, and and I and it's been particularly uh, considered in the context of people with long term conditions. So it, it might result from things like um, organising and altering and attending medical appointments, managing your medicines, self monitoring your conditions, dealing with your um, you know transport, all sorts of very practical things that you have to do to look after a, a, a medical condition. So it's in some ways it's not rocket science as a concept. But I think it is important because we're obviously in a situation with an aging multimorbid population. Um, guidelines are often singsies focused. Um, and we suspect that all of this stuff that people have to do has a, a a potentially negative impact on patients, so negative impact on adherence, potentially a directly negative impact on outcomes, or certainly indirectly. Yeah, what kind of evidence is there so far around outcomes, particularly with when there's high treatment burden? So it's relatively limited, I think, um, because it's very dis- difficult to disentangle it from the conditions themselves and their, their, the way that they change and impact people over time. Um, but I think there is some Im- evidence that people... Um, least able to manage uh, all of the requirements of a condition have poorer outcomes. So I think we we know that at least. And so maybe the importance of this is not um, always necessarily to reduce the burden, but it might be to enhance the other side of the seesaw, if you like, that, that enhancing capacity, people's ability to handle everything that they have to do to manage conditions well. Yeah, I'm really interested in this area. I think it's uh, really important. And I, I'm aware the evidence is still being explored in this and with research looking into it. But certainly my involvement with people who use drugs as a special interest, you know, they often have an average of five, six, seven long term conditions and a whole host of other factors that make them very diff- make it very difficult for them to access care. And I think treatment burdens a huge area in terms of how we design services and rather than just making them more and more complex for people and harder to access. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I sometimes use the analogy of, you know, we, we if people are, are, are dragging a heavy suitcase in, in an airport, we don't make them drag it, drag it across a plowed field. We make them drag, we drag it across a nice level playing field. And it's a bit like that. Can we make health services so that you've got a load, but, but it's easier to, to get through it? And that's the concept of minimally disruptive medicine. Tell us a little bit more about what you did in this study. This study was a follow-up survey of a um, a survey of older people with multimorbidity that we had done pre-pandemic uh, down in Dorset. Uh, we had about 800 people in our baseline survey, and we were using a validated measure of treatment burden among people with three or more long-term conditions, just to sort of try and quantify uh, this this, I, this idea a bit based on um, this measure that developed by Polly Duncan and her colleagues in Bristol. And 
Um, one of the things that we don't know about, didn't know very much about treatment burden is how it changes over time. It's, it's logical that it's not a completely static concept. It's likely to change over time. But um, certainly in the UK, this hadn't been quantified before. And we think, you know, changes in personal circumstances, changes in the health system. Um, and this was before we had the notion of the pandemic coming along and, and potentially changing everything. But we wanted to quantify uh, the change in treatment burden um, among this, this group of people with multiple long-term conditions. The other thing we wanted to do was um, we had um, explored the idea of a very simple measure of treatment burden. So just a single question, which, which you might ask people in practice just to get a feel for whether they were overburdened or not. Our baseline one hadn't performed brilliantly, and we had we had revised it with a with a PPI group, a focus group, um, and we wanted to test that second iteration of the measure to see if it was any better. Okay, so this study was over so over like two and a half years of a sort of follow up of the, that cross sectional study you mentioned at the beginning, over yep. 800, 835 adults, fifty five years and older, so older with who who had um, multi morbidity. Why why don't you go on to tell us a little bit more about the results, Simon? I think that the, the first thing to say was that we noticed a, a, an overall change in treatment burden, and we can speculate about why that was, but broadly speaking, treatment burden for the whole group tended to get a little bit worse. We had, um, sorry, what I should have said before that was we had uh, 300 people in our follow-up survey, so we didn't have all 835 in our follow-up survey, and um, the, the characteristics of those people were that they were uh, around the age of 74, um, majority were white and um, married, cohabiting, uh, retired, uh, sort of Dorset population, and a high proportion had four or more medications, and you know a, a small but important minority had limited health literacy. Just to come back to what I was saying, so overall, the, the, the treatment burden for the whole lot did increase slightly. But to break that down a bit, um, we looked at the categories of treatment burden, so whether people um, had no treatment burden, low treatment burden, medium or high treatment burden in these categories, and about just under half stayed in the same category that they were in at, at baseline, so two and a half years previously, about a third increased, and uh, about a fifth decreased. Among those people whose treatment burden increased, uh, they were more likely to be older, they were more likely to have more long-term conditions and more medications, as you might expect, and they were more likely to be ex-smokers. But when we, look, when we looked more closely at the associations with the increase in treatment burden, and this is, this is we considered that in two ways. One, uh, this using this measure as a continuous outcome, and the other was looking at the categories of change. When we considered it as a continuous outcome, the two uh, main variables that uh, remained associated with an increased treatment burden once adjusting for everything else were having more than five long-term conditions and living 10 or more minutes away from the GP, which is quite interesting given that this was in a, a sort of post-pandemic uh, context when consultation has changed. Um, the other important finding was that there was a varied association depending whether you had limited health literacy or not. So uh, there was a stronger association um, of increased burden with living more than 10 minutes away if you had low health literacy. 
Um, so, so I think that's probably um, quite an important finding, although the numbers were relatively small. In terms of our single item measure that we were testing, um, it, it was a question about whether people felt overstretched or not um, from, from everything they had to do to look after their health. Uh, it didn't perform brilliantly, to be honest. It had a good set specificity, but rather a moderate sensitivity and positive predictive value was only 66%. So, uh, so we think more work is needed on that and, and we're exploring that further. I was about to ask you what that question was, but you, you started alluding to it there. So it was about whether or not people, tell us again, what, you, what, what was exactly was the question there that you, 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 got, you checked? The, the question that we asked at the baseline survey um, was was around was looking at a, a sort of sliding scale of you know where would you put yourself on this line of, from naught to ten of how difficult everything is at the moment for you. This question that we tested here after asking our PPI colleagues was um, that their favourite question was have you felt overstretched by everything you've had to do to manage your health in the last month. And then we gave them some examples like taking medicines, getting prescriptions and so on. And so a simply, simple binary yes, no question. But as you say, didn't perform brilliantly, but that, in many ways that doesn't, for clinicians listening and people who are chatting to people, you don't have to, it's nice to have a single item which gives you a brilliant score and tells you exactly what's going on, but that's not how we have conversations and consultations no. with people. We can ask a series of questions around this. Yes. And if nothing else, it kind of gives a good indicator for people of the kind of questions we might want to explore even if we can't manage it in a single item. Yes, and, and what, what, what we're trying to do now and might be for the future is to look at maybe two or three kind of questions that might give a bit more depth. It's a complicated concept and people might need a bit more, as you say. Yeah, and as you say, the, part of the reason for the finding the question is often to do with research rather than necessarily um, how we go about or designing yes. interventions about, rather than just actually GPs and clinicians having conversations with people who might be struggling um, to manage all their long-term conditions in front of us. Okay, so um, what do you think? This sort of um, what, what what are the uh, main messages here, Simon, in terms of what we could be doing next and what we could be doing differently? Yeah, so I, I suppose the main messages are that that we've been at treatment burden does change over time as we expected for people with multimorbidity. So we shouldn't consider the workload of of people with a given set of conditions to be static. Um, and perhaps not surprising, people with more conditions seem to uh, link to worsening treatment burden. So that might not surprise us very much. Um, and, and those are perhaps the people that we should be focusing on if we're concerned about being overburdened. People with more conditions and people with uh, multiple medications. Um, I think the findings are challenging when the profession's under so much pressure, um, but the association with distance from the GP, even, even given the pandemic and its potential effects, um, and the effect of um, health literacy modifying that, um, I think it potentially emphasizes the importance of local general practice, arguably, uh, the importance of access to general practice, always a thorny issue, but from qualitative work, we know that Getting appointments is, is, can be difficult and really stressful and, and enhance, worsens treatment burden. Um, I think it says something about the need for continuity of care because we need to know our patients to address that health literacy issue. Um, and there may be other, other ways to think about uh, building people's understanding about their conditions in a positive way, uh, not just thinking we've got to reduce the burden all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, you make some fascinating points there. And um, the thing that immediately occurs to me is that the distance may be a proxy marker for something else. And as you started to allude to there, that perhaps that's in areas where big practices have merged together for understandable reasons with the pressure that they're experiencing. But that means continuity of care has dropped off and actually people don't feel that they're they have they find that they're struggling more with their treatment burden for those reasons. I mean, we're all we're speculating here entirely, aren't we? This is an an area that needs yes. a lot more exploration. Yes, but it does emphasise just how treatment burden is tied into so many different aspects of general practice, whether it's access, as you mentioned, continuity of care, um, and all sorts of different areas that, and as you say, in, on a, in a very different set of in a very different climate, um, in terms of the GP situation. Yes, and I think you know it arguably goes beyond the findings of our study, but but I think it's really important as integrated care systems think about how they're trying to organise services for people with multimorbidity. Yeah, any final messages, Simon, that you'd like to just get across? You related to this, your paper and your work here in particular. So I think some of them are are to emphasise uh, some areas of modesty. So it was a relatively small study, and we recognise that, and there there are some important limitations. And not least of which is um, the potential effect of the pandemic altering the way that people were receiving services. But I, I do think that we need to do more in the area of treatment burden and understanding its drivers, for, particularly for people with uh, multiple conditions, and think about the way that we structure general practice and, and the way that we work uh, to help people manage everything they have to do. Well, it's a very interesting study and all research has its limitations in one aspect or another. And this is obviously clearly a developing area. Simon, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ian. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.